Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 130. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, it's lights, camera, action at the Big Boys Billionaires Club. You know how we usually have a backbite section where we read out the feedback from the lovely MacBiters? As we're recording this, they haven't even heard 129. Much less are they aware there's going to be two MacBites in two days. I shall expect to hear from Jonathan about just how shocked he was with this rarer than Haley's Comet event. So come on, Jonathan, fingers to keyboard, with just how shocked you are on a scale of one to a hundred. And of course, if anyone else would like to do the same, we would love to hear from you. Also in the last show, you talked about getting the best out of parallels by tweaking the settings. And what happened then? Well, lo and behold, the day after we recorded, a new version has come out. As it was lunchtime when I got the mail, I headed off upstairs to the office and upgraded. This working from home thing definitely has its benefits, hasn't it? Oh, yes. I can just toddle upstairs, get to my computer. It is, as they claimed, twice as fast to start up and 20% faster to resume a virtual machine that's in sleep mode. Now, I know I'm not one for speed test, but I did it anyway. I got the stopwatch out and checked it. It's got a... Oh, sad. (laughs) Sad, sad, sad. Not sad. Is it really that much faster? It was it was fifty percent faster, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Might be interested now. Really? <laughs> Ooh. Well, well, I do use parallels. I do. Yes. Kind of under sufferance. Once a week for thirty minutes. Once a week for thirty minutes. Then it could be once a week for fifteen minutes. Oh, that'd be good. Mm. I'd like that. If only it did your work in half the time as well as booting up in half the time. Oh, yes. I'd pay twice as much then. (laughs) Twice as much for half the time. It's got a cool feature called Stay Focused, where if you enable Do Not Disturb on your Mac, and I'm permanently on Do Not Disturb, it enables it on Windows as well. There's an automatic optimization feature so that when the virtual machine is shut down, it tidies up after itself, with the result that you regain some disk space. Graphics support has been improved, so those graphics-intensive apps and games will run even faster. And it's optimised for Big Sur, or Biggles, Biggles. As, as we call it Biggles. here at MapBytes HQ. Well, that's of no interest to me, but it runs fine on Harvey, so that's okay. And it includes something called Safe Check Removal to ensure that files in shared folders aren't accidentally deleted. Now, there's two versions of Parallels. There's Standard and Pro. One of the big limitations of the Standard is that you can only assign 8 gig of RAM to the virtual machine. And I can speak from experience because I made that mistake when I bought it. So I immediately emailed them, explained what I'd done, and they refunded me and I then bought the Pro Edition. The Pro Edition lets you assign up to 128 gig of RAM to your virtual machine. So, that 256 gig new iMac is looking very appealing. You know, 128 gig for the Mac, 128 gig for Windows. Sadly, no news on that yet. Mr. Memory is still saying 128 gig is the maximum. Mm. There's me living in hopes. Oh, oh well. I think I could be about to be a very disappointed woman. Oh. Timmy, I am looking at you. 
The standard edition is available as a one-time purchase of £79.99 or as a subscription of £69.99 a year. And the Pro is subscription only at £79.99 a year. Now, if you've got an old version of Parallels, you can upgrade. And the upgrade price is £39.99 a year for the Pro or £39.99 one-off payment for standard. You do have to read the small print carefully. What version costs what is not easy to follow. Do you know, I found that and I thought it was me. <laughs> because increasingly, you know what we said in the last show? Buying anything is difficult because you've no idea what you're buying because they're making it more and more complicated. Yeah, that. Mm. It is. It, it took me about 10 minutes to work out um for, for you know for the, the research purposes of this show uh what cost what but and i also scoured the parallels website but i couldn't find the eligibility for upgrading i ended up googling a parallels update ended up on their forum on a thread from last year and somebody was asking about parallels version 15 and the answer was that you qualify for the upgrade from 13 or 14 so based on that i'd say you only you need to own 14 or 15 to qualify for the upgrade to 16 all very confusing do you know it is because i had parallels virtually within about three to four months of owning my first mac and at the time, there was none of this subscription malarkey. You bought it and there was no pro version. So it wasn't as expensive as it is now. And I upgraded it, you know, religiously because it's the annual tax with them, isn't it? And Fusion's the same. There's virtually a new edition every year. And it's usually August, September time. And then I switched to Fusion. So obviously... The version of Parallels I had was no longer upgradable at the point I came back to it. But by that stage, I'm thinking, hmm, might need to go back to Parallels. And there was a bundle. Do you remember? I think it had a voucher for a year of Evernote as well. Yeah. It was a really good bundle for the price. So I did have a perpetual license for, if not the very latest version, maybe the one before. So again, like you, I scouted around, could not find the right information. Ended up going, I think I think I I went into the account and I think you get a little bit more information in the account. And I was given two prices and I'm looking at them thinking I have no idea which one I should be going for here. It is cheaper in the long run, I think, to subscribe because you've got, like you say, you, you need the pro version for the memory. Um, and then the subscription for that isn't actually that much more expensive. So you might as well go for that. But somehow I did qualify for the upgrade and I'm still on upgrade pricing. There was a difference. Um, it went up £8 a year as a subscription, but I'm still paying less than £40 and I know you're paying nearly 80 for the same thing, which is criminal. But seeing as though I benefit, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm getting the evils now. Carry on. Uh, oh, yes, Timmy. Remember that money, money, money theme from the last show? Seems Timmy took it to heart, didn't he? He did. It's just emerged that Timmy has joined the Billionaires Club. 
His billionaire status is based on the number of shares that he owns and the compensation that he's been paid. He owns 847,969 shares, which is actually only about 0.02% of the company. And last year, he took home more than $125 million as part of his pay package. The entire company is now close to being valued at $2 trillion. How many zeros is trillion? Is it nine, 12? No idea. Me neither. No idea. But if you go into the Apple store and you look at the price of a cable, then just count the zeros. <clears throat> just saying. Mm, true. I, I, you know, I'm sure a company with that amount of money could afford to reduce the price of their products. Or maybe it's because of the price of their products that they have that amount of money. Like I've said, it's the $129 cable that's done it. Now, do you remember um, last year we talked about Apple objecting to the logo of a new German cycling path? Apple took issue with the logo's green leaf and supposed bitten right side, claiming it was too similar to their, their own logo. I'll stick a, a link in the show notes. Well, they're at it again, this time with a company called Prepare, which is spelt P-E-A-R. And it's an app and service that makes it easier for people to meal plan and find new recipes. Apple are demanding that Prepare change their pear-shaped logo because it's too similar to the Apple logo. Now, I'm not a copyright lawyer, but I don't think there's enough of similarity. I'd sling this case out of court. Well, handily, I am a lawyer, although not a copyright lawyer. Uh, I've had a look at it. It's nothing like the Apple logo. If I was in charge, it wouldn't even get to court. Yeah, one is a green pear and the other is a black apple. One has a bite chunk missing and the other doesn't. As we say in the UK, it's comparing apples with oranges, or in this case, apples with pears. There's a link in the show notes. You decide and let us know. On a more serious note, this is a good example of large companies wielding too much power, isn't it? Oh, don't get me going on that one. Uh, after last time, when Apple revoked Charlie Munro's developer distribution certificate unceremoniously. Yeah, Prepare is a small company. There's only five members of staff and the legal fight has already cost many thousands of dollars and they've been forced to lay off one team member due to the cost of the legal action. However, they say that they feel a moral obligation to take a stand against Apple's aggressive legal action. The founder of Prepress said, It's a very terrifying experience to be legally attacked by one of the largest companies in the world, even when we have clearly done nothing wrong, and we understand why most companies just give in and change their logos. It reminds me of the time that Apple were apparently coming after podcasts with the word Mac in the name. Nothing to do with logos, but because of the word Mac. So, what would we have become instead? We couldn't have been muck bites because we'd have had Mackey D's after us. <laughs> Any suggestions, you know, just in case it happens again? Do you know, they really do have a cheek. Seriously. What about all the apps they've Sherlocked? All the apps where they've basically taken the intellectual property and written it into the OS and no one says a word. Really? I must, I must take my pills again, mustn't I? Talking of which, <clears throat> are you ready for an update on the long-running saga 
of a seemingly simple requirement. All I've ever wanted is an audio recording app for iOS. Soon as I got the phone back in 2008, I tried the voice memos app. Did you ever try that? I did once or twice, yeah. Did it work? Well, I recorded like five seconds worth, so yes, it did. Oh, yes, if, if you're recording five seconds, it should be fine. Uh, but it was a crashing fest if you recorded over five minutes. Then there was the nightmare of trying to get it off the phone. You know, there was no airdrop back then. So I bought iTalk. In fact, there was iTalk, which was a cut-down version, and there was iTalk Pro. They were both from Griffin. I've no idea of the exact cost, but I think it was around three ninety nine, And they were two totally separate apps. There was no in-app purchases back then. Oh, it was bliss. So I used it for years and years. And then I got concerned it may become abandoned. <laughs> In fact, it may already have been abandoned. And I got concerned that, you know, you get a new phone and you go to install it and it's not available to install. At this stage, however, it still was. But I started looking around. Well, it's certainly abandoned now. The pro part of it, is now rolled into a single app. So you would need to download the app and then you would need to get this pro upgrade. And it's an in-app purchase. There's no price on the, on the store listing. And I couldn't find a purchase, but that, I've got the pro version. So uh, I moved on. I settled on a fantastic app called Recorder from the developer Lynn Fay. And I think I've, I've done, I've mentioned it at least twice in the past. It's been a really good app and does exactly what I needed it to do. We had one issue a while back when we talked about ads appearing in the pro version. Now, it was bad enough that you've got ads in your pro version. But these were ads for seemingly another developer's apps. It was completely bizarre. I actually asked you to check just in case I was going insane. But no, these were ads for, an, for a different app entirely from a different developer. So I put in a support ticket and it went unanswered, which also didn't put me in the right frame of mind with the app. It's actually calmed down in terms of the ads that I've seen over the last couple of months. So I sort of got over it and carried on with it. But fast forward to last week and I was updating my iPads. The first one gave me a message actually in the App Store as I'm updating the apps regarding Recorder. And it's, it popped up this message and it said, this app has been removed from the store. And I thought that's actually quite weird, given that I was doing updates. It doesn't, that's not a message you see often, I wouldn't say. It's not. I had a similar experience with GoodNotes 4, if you remember. I remember you saying at the time I'd already upgraded to five, but that only opened up a whole different bag of hurt. As now it won't sync with anything other than version five on Mac OS and it's Catalina only. So I took some screenshots of these messages, sensing trouble ahead. I was working on another iPad as the one with the snotogram was updating. So on this iPad, I opened Recorder and I got a different message. It was a simple message stating... New version available, cancel or upgrade. Hmm, that explained it. Now, new version messages aren't needed in the iOS App Store, are they now? You have an update process via the App Store. The only time you see an update notice is if the app 
update is a completely new version. A paid-for update that can't automatically update. Now, no problem. It's an app I use every single day. I use it as a backup audio device when I'm recording and hence it's every single day. I head off to the App Store to check out the new features and to see the price. Shall I summarise my abject horror? Completely new version, full name, Voice Recorder Pro recording. Talk about confusing. Now, why? Well, I bought the Pro variant of the previous version, so I paid outright. It wasn't an in-app purchase. He used to have different versions, just like iTalk. You could download the free one and try it with ads in it. From there, you could choose to update with an in-app purchase or you could just pay and download the pro version. And that's important because if you're using family sharing, in-app purchases can't be shared. That version's no longer available for download. The new version is reporting to be a new version, but when I visit the App Store page in the App Store, it tells me I've already bought it. I can assure you I haven't. Now, since the app's now free, that might explain it. But I really don't think so because I've not downloaded it. I've not touched this new app. So let's think about the free thing. The new free version is ad supported and features that I'd previously had in the pro version are now hidden behind an in-app purchase. But hey, if it's a new version and I need to pay if I want those features, right? Fair enough. I'm not one of those tweetbot people who were horrified at the mere thought of paying anything for an upgrade. So I headed off to the in-app purchase section to find the price for the pro upgrade, which has now been renamed Studio. Too long didn't read version? Mm, shark well and truly jumped. There are two in-app purchases available. £2.99 and £18.49. The £2.99 is subscription for one month and the £18.49 is subscription per year for a recording app. It's not like Dropbox or Dropler or something where there's an ongoing cost for the developer. I use it that much. I'd pay £18.49 in a heartbeat for an outright purchase. But as an annual subscription, it feels incredibly overpriced for an app where they have no ongoing costs. I pondered. But what if I wanted to install the pro version I'd already paid for? So think new iPad. Just install this app. You're out of luck. Remember the message? It's already being removed from the store. So I couldn't actually download the version I've already bought then. Looking like iMazing's going to have to come into play here. There was no indication in the current message about a new version that it's not a free update. I guess they get away with it because the new version is, massive air quotes, free. But the message doesn't mention that the upgrade they offer isn't an upgrade to your existing purchase. It's a switch to the new subscription model because to upgrade and retain the features you already have means you need to take a subscription. There's no indication it's now a subscription app in any of the upgrade messages. 
Yes, another subscription. I'm done, folks. I am not paying £18.49 a year to use this. The free version has ads in it, but I'd already bought and paid for the pro version. And I can carry on using that version, the one I obviously have, but eventually it will stop working. And as I've said, without something like iAmazing to keep the current version that I've got installed safe and sound for the future, I can't even install what I've already paid for. I set about looking at the alternatives and it got very curious indeed. There were three other apps that I considered to be most comparable to the one that I'm looking for a replacement for. Every single one of them has converted to a subscription model at exactly the same price point. Really? Four apps, same subscription price. It's beginning to sound like an episode of Dallas, isn't it? Conspiracy upon conspiracy. I will record the pundits lauding Apple when the App Store was launched. While it might have been a wall garden, some didn't like that. But the Apple fanboys were like, oh, no, it's safe. It means no rip-off merchants. It's classy. Now, it's like the Wild West. The next person who spouts Apple a classy garbage at me will have their opinions realigned by me. And with Apple taking 30% of subscriptions, of course they're promoting them. It's in their financial interest to do so. But don't try to sell them to me for apps that just don't justify that model. I ran the app and I got the same message you did and I tapped cancel. And I then ran it a couple of days later and I got a different message. And this one had three options. As well as upgrade and cancel, there was a don't show me again. But I agree, it's very confusing. Most people, I think, would probably tap upgrade, assuming it was a normal app upgrade, and then find that they've signed up to a 12-month subscription. Very, very bait and switch, if you ask me. Going back to iTalk that you mentioned earlier, that's the one that I use. And in the app, there's an unlock option. So I tapped it and a screen pops up advertising all the features you get if you unlock, in air quotes, the app. But nowhere is there a way to actually unlock the app. Like you say, it looks like it's been abandoned. I'm not happy working with an app that, you know, has been abandoned. Because at some point, if you already know it's been abandoned, which clearly we do, then that's the time you need to be looking around. Because the next step for an app like that is that it will just disappear and it, or it will stop working. And then you've got no time to be looking around for an alternative. Right now, the app I've got, as long as I don't upgrade or touch anything, I can carry on using. So I'm now on notice that I need to find another app, really. But if it's already at the stage where you're tapping and, and things are dead, you really do need to shift and you need to shift quickly. I will report back on the so far futile result of a search for my replacement app. There are no shortage of options in the App Store, seriously. You know, you type in, I think I typed audio recorder. I did find there were a lot that profess to record telephone calls, which isn't actually something I'm not bothered about. Uh, so I didn't want one of those apps. I just wanted an audio recorder, which seemed to be fairly basic as far as I was concerned in terms of apps. And as I say, no shortage of them, but many, many of them have been neglected for years. Others have been completely abandoned and the design of some others is nothing short of criminal. 
So if you have any suggestions, do let me know. I am open to all suggestions. Do you know, I could swear when the Mac App Store was launched, if an app hadn't been updated in six months, didn't they pull it? Because there are apps in the App Store that are older than we are. It's shocking now. It's very, very, very poor. I can't honestly remember, but you're probably right. It could have been they took it out of the search but left it in the store. But it's the fact that they've taken away for download the version that I've already paid for that's the worst of it. Given the way the App Store works, I mean, if you go back to the, to the day... You remember you used to synchronise it with iTunes and you could go and find your IPA file and back that up. You know, long gone are those days. When was the last time you plugged your phone in to back it up to, to um, iTunes? Like, never. I don't think I've A done it on the machine in the last three years. I do back it up. I back it up to iCloud, but that won't help download an app that's not there because they've pulled it. So don't get me going on that one. Anyway, should we go into something that's a little bit on the happier side of this? I'm, I'm really smarting over that, I must admit. One, because it's an app I use every single day. And two, when you've paid for something, it's a bit like a book going out of print, isn't it? They don't come round to your house in the middle of the night and steal the flaming paper bag off the coffee table because it's out of print. If you've bought it, it's yours. Or am I making up silly analogies? Because that seems to be a spot-on analogy to me. That is a spot-on analogy. Exactly. So if you do see anybody lurking outside looking for my paperbacks, give them short shrift. Uh, let's get on to hardware, because that's something that I bought. And unless somebody does rob the place, it's mine. Uh, a few shows back, I mentioned a stand that I'd bought a few months ago. I called it a tablet stand. Uh, it's got an articulated arm. It's actually only about 18 inches tall. And the head on it that holds um, the iPhone or a tablet can pivot through 360 degrees. So you can have this at any angle. The arm that is the 18 inches tall bit has a joint halfway along the length, which can also kind of pivot downwards and upwards. As I've said, it holds the iPhone and the iPad. I think I've put the 11 inch iPad in it, but I don't think it would go much bigger than that. And I've used it for recording B-roll with either an iPad or an iPhone, um, given that we now have a new toy here at MacBytes headquarters. Uh, it's also useful for holding devices as reference, especially during live sessions, because it gets it off the desk and it puts it at a useful height. Happy to report this one is rock solid. No alarming undulations like the last one I tried. Back in December 2015, it was episode 102, Alarming Undulations. Do you remember that one? I remember it well. I'd made the mistake of getting this iPad stand, which made all kinds of promises. Uh, and it had, um, what are those neck things called that kind of bend? It had a bendy neck thing on it, but it assured me it was rock solid. <laughs> it was hair raising. <laughs> rock solid isn't something I would have said about this. It's always useful to have something available like this, even if it isn't something that you particularly use every day. Uh, I took a punt on it, really. I only paid £18 during an Amazon sale. But I checked and it's now £42.99. Do you think Timmy's advised them on pricing? <laughs> Probably. Uh, is it worth it? Depends on your needs at that price, to be honest. So what I did at that stage... Uh, 
if you have a need to have a rock solid stand, then yes, it's probably worth it. It's no more than the laptop stands that you get that are like shaped metal. So it, it's no more. In fact, some of those were £65. So it's cheaper than that. But as I say, it's going to depend on how often you would use it at that price. But fear not, I have a cost-effective alternative. A selfie stick with a tripod on the bottom. I know, I never thought I'd be buying a selfie stick either. But as a selfie stick, it has a phone holder clip already with it, and they're sometimes eight to ten pounds on their own. It also has an extendable arm. Now, the models that you're looking for are the ones that have a tripod attachment by the handle. So you could hold it in your hand and use it as a standard selfie stick or the handle would like you flick a switch and it turns into like, like a James Bond gadget. It turns into a tripod and then you can stand it on a desk or a table. Now, I went that way for the additional ring lights that we've installed since lockdown. Originally, we only had one for use during MacBytes After Hours, and it was primarily for the unboxings. So I had it on a proper stand, which I think was three times the price of the ring light. But now we need to be able to video conference from anywhere. I added another four ring lights to, to the whole MacBytes headquarters experience. Not too expensive for the ring lights, but the stands certainly were. So it was actually easier than fiddling with a fistful of adapters and a standard stand, which was could either be used for a camera or a microphone. I think the selfie stick again was about £12, which was a huge difference from like 50 for a light stand. And it worked for you when we lost the internet in the middle of a live show and your Zoom meeting, didn't it? It did indeed. I had the iPad tethered to, to the iPhone so I could log in and run this Zoom meeting as I was the host. I normally use the Mac to attend meetings and the iPad sits on the desk as a note-taking device. But the stand meant that I could have it at the right angle and the right height so people weren't looking at my nose. Yes, that's pretty much my life story now. It's very off-putting, isn't it? Mind you, it's not as... No, 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 I won't go into the alternative. You know, instead of having it tipped up to your nose, when they have it tipped down the other way. No, don't, don't even go there. Uh, to be honest, either the arm or the selfie stick is a great solution. It's the way to go for your iPhone and iPad for video without having to hold it or deal with the up the nose thing or anything else unsavoury. And, and cost effective, that one, given it's around 12 to 13 pounds. This is why we have hundreds of them lined up, isn't it, Mike? It is. With lights on. Now, I mentioned we have a new toy here at MacBytes headquarters. It's a new camera. Ah, the last serious camera we bought. I'm skipping that Canon point and shoot thing. The last serious one, the DSLR, was a Canon 30D back in 2006. I think it weighed about five stone. Uh, this one, great camera, but it's severely underused, isn't it? Because you've got to drag it out and it's heavy. And by the time you've got the camera out, uh, the cat that the dog was chasing you were trying to get a photo of is long gone. So, um... This one is the Sony ZV-1, but apparently everybody's calling it the ZV-1 because that's like American. So the ZV-1 or the ZV-1, and it's a vlogging camera. So the emphasis is more on video than images, but obviously it does both. It's amazingly small and light. Uh, it was 
the, the internet was alive with talk about it in June as it was released, but it was rarer than hen's teeth. Especially so given that there was a special offer from Sony where you got £100 off a Bluetooth hand grip. But nowhere had any in stock. They had waiting lists. Some were taking deposits. Obviously, I checked Amazon. Uh, no offer on at Amazon and still they had no stock. I was almost giving up, resigned to the fact of not having the hand grip at all. When I found a listing on Amazon that did include the offer, now that made it a no-brainer. I placed an order for both with the discount, but the hand grip was on back order. The camera, however, arrived within a few days. We did an unboxing on last week's MacBytes after hours. Great fun it was. Now, I've not done much more than some testing right now. Too busy with MacBite shows, obviously. Like buses, they are on for ages and then two come along together. But the hand grip should be here soon, uh, which is going to be useful in two ways. As a hand grip to record kind of selfie style, obviously not happening, but it will work front facing. But also as a tripod, uh, just like that selfie stick I've just described, this hand grip, you pull it out and it converts into a tripod. So, as I say, so far only done very limited testing, but I've been surprised at the quality of the low light video. When I took some of you last week, when you were a bit warm, if you remember, and you didn't have a T-shirt on and I got accused <laughs> of taking inappropriate video. It wasn't my fault you didn't have a T-shirt on, was it? Anyway, it was dark is the point I'm making and the quality of it was pretty stunning. The iPhone does great video, but it does prefer great light to do it in. Now, you might be thinking, why a dedicated video camera rather than using an iPhone? Well, at the moment, I've got three iPhones. So my last, my current iPhone and my two previous iPhones. So I've got an iPhone 11, an iPhone 7 and an iPhone 6. And the, they're all the plus models. Now, the iPhone 11 is fine. But if I'm using that for recording video, then I can't use it for anything else while it's recording. I did do some footage with the iPhone 7. It lost 50% battery life with nine minutes recording. Hmm. The iPhone 6 fared better in the battery department, but that got so hot, you literally could not hold it. I had to put it, I couldn't even put it on the desk lest it melt the top. So I had to kind of put that on a towel and hope for the best. It was, it was too hot to use. Um, I cannot be dealing with those kind of issues when I'm trying to work. So that was a very brief overview of the new toys and why they made their way here. But more detail in upcoming shows on account of the fact, one, I haven't totally put it through its paces. And two, I haven't even got the hand grip yet. And it could be the back end of September before that actually arrives. But when it does, I'll tell you all about it because I'll be so excited, won't I, Mike? Yes. <laughs> we like new toys. We do. Now, let's talk workflows, specifically how I get PDF documents digitally signed. I'll start with macOS and then I'll talk about iOS. To give it some context, I work with a number of training companies delivering online Excel sessions. And for each session, I'm sent a PDF speaker agreement that I have to sign and send back. The first time I had to do this, because I was all naive, I, I assumed they wanted a, a proper signature, a wet signature. So I printed the PDF, signed it, 
got you to scan it in for me and then emailed it back. Which reminded me of when I worked at one of the UK's uh, police forces in the early 2000s, training officers on a new computer system. They had to type their statements into the system, print them off, sign them with a pen, scan them and upload them back into the system. All because the courts at the time didn't accept digital signatures. Signed using a quill pen, no doubt. You're not far off the mark there. Anyway, if you find yourself in this situation, what options do you have? Well, there's a cost-effective solution for which read free, and that's to use the Preview app, which is part of macOS. Apple added the ability to create and insert signatures to Preview in Lion way back in 2011, and you'll find it with the annotation tools. There's two options to create the signature. One, sign a piece of paper and hold it up to the IMAX camera, or two, use a trackpad. So I tried the piece of paper method and you came up with some good tips. Oh, I did. It's better with a thicker tipped pen like a Sharpie rather than a pencil or a biro. Make sure you align the signature to the blue line in the window in preview, because that makes sure that the correct area of the paper is selected. And you need to do it in daylight or have really good lighting because doing it when it was getting dark meant that the signature was added to the document, but it had a grey background. So it didn't look great on a document with a white background. The trackpad, well, that was a non-starter for me. I don't have one. So I handed the testing over to you. It should have been great, but I found it difficult to get a decent looking signature using a finger on the trackpad. Uh, what squiggles I did manage to make did look good. They were strong, bold strokes. They were very clear. It just didn't look very much like my signature. So back to getting the signature into the document. In terms of workflow, the process is actually very straightforward. Open the email, download the PDF to my desktop or other location, open the PDF in preview, add the signature, drag the updated PDF into a reply email and send. So that's one option and it works well. Another solution, and this is the one that I use, is to use PDF Expert, which is an app that I already own and I use on a regular basis for reading, annotating and editing PDFs. There's three ways to create a signature in PDF Expert on the Mac. One, write your signature using the mouse. Now with that, you get a choice of three font sizes and three colours. I couldn't replicate my normal signature using a mouse. Um, I just just found it difficult to use. But and if this was a document, you know, for the bank, for example, it would probably be rejected. The second way is to type your signature using the keyboard, and obviously that's easier to input. And as you type, you see a preview. It uses a fixed size handwriting style font, and there's a choice of three colours. So a little bit limited there, but at least it looks like a signature. And the third method is to create a PDF, a PNG or a JPEG of your signature and upload that into PDF Expert. And that was the method that I used. I signed a blank piece of paper. I took a photo of it with my phone, transferred the photo to my iMac and added it to PDF Expert using the signatures panel in the app. 
And that's a one-off process because once your signature is in the app, you simply open the signatures panel, drag the signature to the appropriate place in the document and resize and position as appropriate. So that's the Mac. What about iOS? Well, if you're looking for a no-cost solution, assuming it's a PDF that's been mailed to you, you can use the built-in mail app. Open the email, tap the PDF to download it, tap the markup icon, tap the plus sign, and tap signature. And if you've set up a signature through preview on the Mac, as I described earlier, that signature is available. Dare I say it, courtesy of iCloud syncing? Never said a word, carry on. I was waiting for a comment. No. Okay. <laughs> iCloud's beyond comment. Mm, okay. If not, use your finger or a stylus to create a new signature, which again, <clears throat> thanks to iCloud syncing or not. Move along, nothing to see. <laughs> will be made available as one of your signatures in preview on the Mac. So there's a, a two-way theoretical syncing going on here. Once the signature is uh, added, you tap reply. The signed PDF is added to the reply email as an attachment and off you go. Now, I'm actually not using the built-in mail app at the moment. I'm using the Gmail app, but the process is identical. The only difference being that once the PDF is opened, you tap the share sheet and tap markup. So it's two taps instead of one. Again, any signatures created in Preview or the Mail app are available in the Gmail app, which is useful because it means that I can swap mail clients at will, which I do, and have my signature available in both. Now, I've got the iOS version of PDF Expert, so I thought I'd see how that measured up. In the Mail app, I tapped the attachment icon in the email to open the PDF. I then tapped the Share Sheet icon and selected PDF Expert. In PDF Expert, I tapped the signature icon and the signature that I'd created in PDF Expert on the Mac was displayed. The signatures that I'd created in Preview and the iOS Mail app weren't there. PDF Expert does its own thing sync-wise. So I tapped the signature and it was added to the document. However, at this point, it got a bit messy and there was no simple way to send the document back as a reply. I either had to send it as a new email or save it somewhere like OneDrive or Google Drive and then go back to the mail app and manually add it as an attachment to the reply email. And I had exactly the same experience with the Gmail app. Now, there is a solution to the I want to use PDF expert, but I can't easily send a reply problem. And uh, that is one that you suggested, and that's to use the free email client Spark. Because Spark and PDF Expert are made by the same company, Readle, there's an integrated workflow. So once the mail is open in Spark, you tap on the attachment, tap edit, and then tap sign. And this opens the PDF in PDF Expert, where you can insert a signature or create a new one. To send the signed document back, it's as simple as tapping next and then tapping attach to reply. And this switches you back to Spark from where you can send the email. 
Now, I tend to be at my Mac when I'm doing what I call my admin work. And uh, as PDF Expert is the default PDF reader and editor on my Mac, I download the PDF that I was sent, open it in PDF Expert, add the signature and send it back. If I was using iOS, and I'm not an iOS-only fundamentalist, but if I was on the road and had to quickly get a signed PDF sent back, I'd probably use the Spark and PDF Expert combination. Although I don't use Spark, I have issues with it, but that's another story. I have got it installed. It's on the, the last page of apps on my iPhone and iPad and is there as a my use in an emergency third-choice mail client. Oh, I think I've got about 10 of those. Um, you were talking about getting your signature into PDF Expert. So you said there was three ways to create a signature and you're on about the mouse and all kinds of malarkey. Yeah. Did you ever think of just opening up PDF Expert on the iPad and using the pencil? Um, no. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> Ignore the most simple option. There could be a reason for that. Go on. Um, I, there isn't, but go on. I probably set the um, signature up in the days before I had an Apple Pencil. Rubbish. You've had an Apple Pencil since 2016. No, 2017. Or was it 2016? No, it's 2017. 2017. <clears throat> oh, well, I'm glad you can remember. You're on the hook. <laughs> You're on... Right. So, addendum to that, there's a much easier way to use the Apple Pencil in the iOS version. And then do what Mike did in terms of syncing it, but don't sync it from the desktop to, to the iOS device. Sync it from the iOS device, sync it back to the iMac, and then you'll have a proper signature on the iMac. Just saying. <clears throat> Shall we move swiftly along? Better had. <laughs> I was following along. I noticed that there was an easier way. Just saying. Anyway, let's move on to MacBytes After Hours. 89. There is another live show on Friday. It's part five of the DevonThink series. This time, we're looking at DevonThink to go. And because we're looking at DevonThink to go, we're also going to have to look at how DevonThink works with the various cloud options that are around. The links are in the show notes. Uh, you can catch up with the first four parts of the series if you've missed them. They are available on demand with all the links in the show notes. Um, but we're going live on Friday at 9pm. Do join us, both for learning and fun. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours isn't enough, we are still going live every day during lockdown. We're in week 22 and we are now officially 150 shows in. It's an audio show on MacBytes FM every day at 7pm. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. Do join us for the daily laughter in these very strange times. And those who do join us are the very first to know when there's a new MacBytes. They hear it first. And you might not know this, but MacBytes premieres on MacBytes FM before it hits the feed. So you definitely need to join us. Uh, and I'm also going live on Thursday with a session dedicated to Affinity Publisher, more specifically creating a newsletter in Affinity Publisher. So loads of features to be covered on that. And being there live, you have your chance to ask questions on the night. It's going to be straight after Marooned at MacBytes headquarters on Thursday, 8pm UK time. The link is in the show notes. But that is it 
for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. Send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or you can use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. How's the ringing in your head? A distant memory. The dunking worked then? I haven't forgotten that. What's your problem? It worked, didn't it? No, it didn't. But you've stopped ringing. I know I have, but that was nothing to do with you and your stupid plan. So what happened then? While I was drying off, I apprised her of the price of the in-app purchase. How did that go down? Let's just say peace reigns. Now you're ringing. That was an email. I hate to break it to you, but she's just done the in-app purchase thing in the ringing app. No, no, no.